Well, uh, I want to get started. I, I have a bunch of stuff I felt like God gave me to, to share with you guys. And I'm going to be watching the, the people logging in because I'm the admin, so I have to, so I may be stopping to <laughs> press a little button here or there. But um, I've been praying about it and thinking about what does God want me to share in this workshop. And at first, I was going to go for some basic habits, some basic stuff on living on mission. But I felt like God called me to make a, a, a kind of a, a right turn or something, <laughs> take a detour um, on something. It's, it's three, the, you can take notes, there's going to be three theological realities that are game changers. They are, they're actually so deep, so profound. And so they're also very basic in the same way, but they're, they're mysterious, meaning that you cannot fully understand them. But the more you grasp them, the more you study God's word, the more you obey God, the more you're going to be motivated to live those, to live out an evangelistic lifestyle, to live on mission. Um, and so the title of this session is Every Day is a Mission Trip. And I love studying missionary heroes. And so I love to think about what were the things that drove them, that, that, that I've read a lot of biographies, a lot of missionary biographies. And I, I asked the question, what is the thing that drove them to sacrifice and just pour themselves out for God's kingdom? And the things, there was three things that I, I can see, there's probably more, <laughs> but there's three things that are kind of common threads that I'm going to share with you guys. So let me pray, and then we're going to jump in. God, you are glorious. You are good. You are sovereign. I pray that you would glorify yourself during this session. Lord, speak to us. Encourage us. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me to encourage these people. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing that motivates us, it's an essential, it's going to fuel your mission, is the glory of God. It's God's glory. God's glory will propel you to a life of mission and evangelism and ministry. And there, have any of you guys heard of Abram, also known as Abraham? <laughs> okay. Right after the story of the Bible, it goes, Adam and Eve were, were created. They messed it up. The fall, automatically, God had a plan to redeem people around the world. And then you remember the, the, the flood, the Tower of Babel. That's an interesting story of man trying to take God's glory. They were trying to take God's glory for themselves. They said, we're going to build a tower to glorify ourselves, And so God was like, uh, 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 that's not going to happen. And he, um, he, he scattered them. He changed their languages. So they were confused. And this is a really interesting timing. When you think about Abraham, when he hit Abram is what he was. His original name was, um, when he stepped onto the scene, the tower of Babel just happened. And that was when their language were, their languages were confused and they were spread out across the world. And God automatically, the whole time, because he's, he's eternal, 
He always has a plan, but he, this is where he kind of continues to unveil his plan even more. And so in Genesis 12, it says, now the Lord, Genesis 12, you can look it up, one through four. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Genesis 12, one through four. This passage, it's impossible to exaggerate the importance of this passage, honestly. It is, it is a passage that is just packed with meaning. Some, some Old Testament scholars call it the great commission of the Old Testament. Okay, um, it, is, it is where God unveils his plan to pick a people to, through Abraham and to ignite a movement of multiplication across the world. And the spoiler alert is Abraham's descendants that will be blessed in all nations is through Jesus Christ. Those that accept Jesus Christ now get in on this promise that God made to Abraham thousands and thousands of years ago. And so that promise to bless you and to be a blessing is true for your life. We are actually, you are now grafted in to the family tree of Abraham. Like if you are a follower of Christ, you are grafted into Abraham's family tree. And now we get to be a part of God's story that he started from Genesis. And then in Revelation, Revelation 7, 9, there's people from every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping Christ and worshiping him. And so we are just caught up in this story. And so it's not, for me, it's so freeing to know I don't even have to worry about myself. I can, I can get lost in a cause that's so much bigger than myself. And a lot of times, the biggest question a lot of college students have <laughs> is, what is God's will for my life? What is God calling me to do? And a lot of the books, a lot of the things, they tell you, look inside. <laughs> look at your gifts. Look at your abilities. Look at your passions. But before you can really look at your passions and discern, you first have to look at God's passion. Before you can look into your passions, you need to know God's passions. And God's passion is for his glory. God's passion that is that he would be worshipped from every in on every family in earth, meaning every ethne, every people group, every tribe in the world will be worshipped by him. And that is motivated not only by his glory and his desire to be worshipped, but also his love for us. Because you think about God's motive to be glorified is not a selfish motive. Because when my wife wants me to look at her, okay, and to bask in her glory, that is the most loving thing she can do for me, okay? <laughs> it's getting, I'm, I'm blushing right now as I speak. But, but when God tells us to worship him and to glorify him, we were created to worship Christ. We were made, and we are most satisfied, God is most satisfied, we are most satisfied when when we glorify God, when we love God, we are made to worship. So the most loving thing God can do 
is to get in, get us in on basking in his glory. And so that's something that he just wants to happen. So he, he knows that we were made to worship. We were made to worship and everyone worships something. Every person on the planet worships something. A lot of people worship themselves. A lot of people worship their goals, their dreams, their ambitions. A lot of people worship relationships. You go to other countries, they worship false gods. They worship, oh, there's all sorts of religions. Everyone has this built-in desire to worship, to put something preeminent. And God knows that only he is worthy. Only he is preeminent. And so he has made a plan to make it so people of every, every people get, group worship him. And so when we, evangelism is simply helping people turn their gaze away from themselves onto God. Evangelism is turning people's eyes off of the smell, the, the smell, smell, small, selfish life. Helping people get beyond themselves and to a big, a much bigger life that's all about God and his glory. Um, so Claude Hickman in his book, It's All Backwards, I totally recommend that book. He said this, all the advice you've been given about your life is wrong. It's actually backwards. I wish I was exaggerating, but seriously, after years, let me see. Okay. I was trying to add someone, um, see, making sure we didn't need to add anyone. <laughs> after years of reading the books, listening to many sermons for helping people discover their life direction, they all have the same problem. They began with the wrong person, you. God doesn't want to endorse your life. He wants to direct your life. So he's saying all the advice is, is backwards. It starts with you. It doesn't start with you. It starts with God. God doesn't want to endorse your life. He wants to direct your life. Man, verse three, it says, and in you, in Genesis 12, verse three, in you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. Man, for me, that is just mind-blowing that Ab think picture yourself being abraham abram <laughs> during that time when god gave him that promise how amazing and throughout abram's life god dripped vision throughout his life he he he, he made sure that abram understood how big this was how important this was in genesis 15 <laughs> this is what it says genesis 15 5 and 6 you can jot it down look at it later but he says, he took, took Abraham outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he says, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. He said, look at the stars. Look, just look, look at how many there are. Try to count them. That's how many people are going to be redeemed through your legacy. That's how many people God is going to save through Jesus Christ. And uh, it's really personal for me because lately, Evelyn, she's six years old, and she has a, an app on, on Christy's phone where she looks at the constellations, and we go out in Gary and Joni's hot tub, and we look at all the stars, and we try to look at them all. And for me, this was so encouraging to think, if you're ever struggling with your purpose, you're ever struggling to, with the doubts, that God is going to use your life, just look at the stars. Just look up at the stars. God has been on this epic 
mission of redemption far, far before you ever entered the scene. And his promise is that he is going to save a multitude of people, more than we could ever count. And so God's power is so much bigger. God's promise. So when we do evangelism, when we share our faith, when we engage in missions, we are syncing ourselves up with the very agenda of God. So next time you're discouraged, just look up at the stars. God promises to use you. God promises to use his children. The promise of Abraham is your promise because you are an heir to the legacy of this promise. And so God promises to multiply his kingdom through you, actually. And it's our job just to sink, sink ourselves up with that. So you can have peace, you can have purpose, you can have joy in whatever God guides you to do with your life. Whatever your, your specific calling is, you can know that you have an eternal purpose that's so much bigger than, your, than you. So our primary motivation in evangelism should be bringing glory to God, to just getting synced up with God's glorious plan of redemption. John Piper said it this way. He said, missions exist. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. That's interesting. The glory of God is the ultimate goal of the church because it is the ultimate goal of God. The final goal of all things is that God might be worshiped with white hot affection by a redeemed company of countless persons from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Missions exist because worship doesn't. When the kingdom finally comes in glory, missions will cease. Missions is pen penultimate, the next most important thing. Worship is ultimate. If we forget this and reverse the roles, the passion and power for both diminish. So actually, it starts with your worship of God. Your intimacy with God will determine your impact for God. The more you worship God, the more he will work through your life. And so it is so important that we serve Christ out of the overflow of just being amazed by him. Like when you're amazed by God and Christ and what he's done in your life, you can't help speaking, Acts 4.20, for we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. That's what the apostles, early church said. The next theolo theological reality that, sh that should fuel missions is the reality of hell. The reality of hell. So have you ever thought about how long eternity is going to be? Eternity is going to be really, really long. My favorite hymn, my favorite line of one of my favorite hymns is Amazing Grace. It says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And I love that. I love to think about, I'm going to be with Christ forever. But honestly... I get scared that just the concept of being anywhere, doing anything for that long scares me. But when we think about those in our classes, we think about those in our families that don't know Christ, when they've been there 10,000 years, they are going to have no less days to suffer. They are going to continue. There's no hope 
the Bible says, do your Bible study, really get to the point where you have a conviction that Jesus is the only way to God, to eternal life. And if we really believe that, honestly, I don't know how you can be a loving person and not do whatever it takes to help expand the gospel, the good news that they could be saved from that fate. We should care about all suffering, but the worst kind of suffering in the world is eternal suffering. James 4.14 says, Why you, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and vanishes away. James 4.14. That is your life. One breath. Go outside on a cold day. Your life is so short. And what we do in this life matters for eternity. And there's so many people that are just one moment away from an eternity separated from God. And we don't know. So many students die, even at Chico State, from alcohol-related things. People in this generation are committing suicide. There was, I remember years ago, a couple years ago, there was a, a guy that his, his buddies took him out for 21 shots on his 21st birthday. And I was trying to reach out to him, trying to invite him to challenge. And he, he drank and his buddies left him in a pile of his own vomit. And he died later that night. It's just the urgency. We do not know. It's impossible to exaggerate the urgency of eternity. I remember the first time I caught a glimpse of this. We were worshiping. We were sitting around a campfire. And I was looking at those flames. And I just thought, the flames, what the Bible says is that people without Christ will be spending forever separated from God in hell. And I just remember thinking, my friends, put a face to it. Like, this is not an abstract idea. This is a eternal truth. This is a reality. I don't like to talk about this. I don't enjoy this topic at all. But I think we have to come to the place where we believe this is not just true, it is real. If you believe it is real, then it will change your life. James 1.22 says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. So just like a brave fireman goes in and rescues someone, we need to be able to risk it all so that we can rescue people for eternity. So have you ever wept for those without Christ? Has God broken your heart for the lost? Luke 9, 41, Jesus said, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Jesus wept for those without Christ. The Apostle Paul in Romans Romans. 9 1 it says i have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart so the apostle paul had this burden to see christ exalted to see the gospel expand to see his friends the people in in the in that in context in romans 9 um his jewish people come to know jesus and he even made up a a impossible scenario that he would give up his salvation so that others could be saved. Look it up, Romans 9. Now you could say, Paul, Apostle Paul, settle down. Like, don't get so worked up. Unceasing anguish, great sorrow. Like, settle down. No, I, I think Jesus knows something we don't. Paul knows something we don't. 
Every missionary that's ever been used by God had this deep burden in their heart. William Booth. Have you guys heard of William Booth, the founder of Salvation Army? Anyone heard of that? Salvation Army, the free donut place. You know, you go to the farmer's market, they give the little donuts. Okay. So there was, he had these, all these missionaries around the world and he got a telegram. Okay. I don't even know really what a telegram is, but he got a telegram from some of his, some of his missionaries that were in this really difficult um, city and they were trying to share the gospel. They said, we're trying everything. Nothing's working. And he sent a telegram back to them. And the only thing it said on the telegram was try tears, try tears. And what he meant by that was ask God to break your heart for those people. Ask God to give you a burden and let that show by the way that you engage them, the way that you love them. Because they can argue with our, our you know, presuppositions and our, our statements, but they can't argue with our love. People cannot argue with our love. So think about it. Like heaven, hell, life, death, does this bother you? And then a much tougher question is, does it bother you enough to do something about it? So I, I came across this quote by a famous non-Christian criminal that right before his execution, a priest went up to him and very casually shared the gospel with him. And this non-Christian criminal said, do you believe that? Do you believe that? If I believe that, I would willingly crawl across England over broken glass to tell men it is true. He's like, this, if this is real, this changes everything. So it is impossible to exaggerate the urgency of eternity. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Honestly, like I could hoot, I could holler, I could yell, I could bang the computer, but there's nothing I could do to say how important this is. And the truth is, the closer you are to the heart of God, the closer you are to Jesus, the more you share his burden for those without Christ. In Matthew 9, this is one we quote all the time at Challenge. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his field. That's Matthew 9, 36-38. I encourage you to memorize that. But the Greek word for compassion there is to be moved to one's bowels. It means it made him sick to his stomach. When Jesus saw the crowds, it made him sick. You ever had a breakup when you broke up with someone? You really liked and you just are so upset that just your stomach constricts or someone in your family gets cancer. That's just that feeling of just, you're just, oh, that's what Jesus feels when he sees the lost. And so I pray that God would give you the compassion of Christ for those around you. At the end of the day, evangelism is just love. Okay, it's just, just loving people enough to initiate and to, to get into their lives and to share the gospel with them. There's a great prayer. I want to challenge you to pray this. Let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. And uh, there's a, an acrostic. I pray for this every day. I pray for Bob. 
okay? Every day I try to pray for Bob. B, burden for the lost. So God, help me break my heart for those without Christ. O is opportunity to witness, opportunity to share the gospel. And then the other B is boldness to proclaim Christ. If you pray those three things every day, man, that is a dangerous prayer. I think your life might be wrecked in a good way, okay? You might never be the same. If you really are consistent and mean it and walk through your day looking for opportunities and boldly taking advantage of those, like I've never seen it fail. God wants to share his heart with you. And then the, the, the reality in this passage is that he said, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. And I know Neil has been talking about what a laborer is in the sessions, but the problem is not with the harvest. Okay, there are people right now that are open to the gospel all around us. The problem is the lack of laborers. So Jesus, if he was in your small group, he would have one prayer request. More laborers, more laborers. He wants to, that's what he's, he's praying. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, send out laborers into his field. And I pray that everyone on this call will be an answer to Jesus's prayer request. You can be a laborer. God is calling you to be a laborer. Number three, the sovereignty of God. That's the third theological truth. And so what does that mean, the sovereignty of God? It means God is in complete control. Every, um, I heard it illustrated this way. There was a pastor friend of mine, and he was taking some guys on a road trip. They were doing discipleship. And on one side, um, the grass was, was green. And on the other side of the road, they were just driving along. Other side of the road, the grass was brown. And this, this wise, godly pastor asked the, the guys he was discipling, he said, hey guys, why is that grass green and that grass dry? And they said, oh, because they watered that one and they took good care of that one. And, and the, the pastor said, nope, it's because God decided to make that grass green <laughs> and that grass dry. God is in control of every detail of life. Now, this is a mystery I do not understand. Okay, there's same thing with reality of hell. It is beyond me. Same thing with the glory of God. What that truly means, that's something I have been spent years trying to understand. So I don't claim to have this all figured out. But uh, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, there's no attribute, attribute more comforting to his children than of God's sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe trials, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules them, and that sovereignty will sanctify them. There is nothing for which the, ch the children ought to be more earnestly contend to them than the doctrine of their master over all creation. The kingship of God over all works of his own hands, the throne of God and his right to sit upon that throne, for it is God upon the throne whom we trust. So Spurgeon is saying that he's like a famous preacher, old school preacher. He said, God's throne, God sitting on the throne is the ultimate comfort to us. And it's also, I would contend, it's one of the greatest motivators and encouragements to mission is that long before we ever get there to share the gospel, God is already there. 
God is already working in those person's lives. Hudson Taylor, another great missionary, he was 52 years old and he was sick. He had such a hard life. But here's a quote from him. He said, so make up your mind that God is an infinite sovereign. He has the right to do as he pleases with his own. And he may not explain to you a thousand things which may puzzle your reason in his dealings with you. Man. So he's saying he was sick in bed, and this is what he wrote in his journal. God does not have to explain himself. God is on the throne. Even in our sufferings, he is, he is using that for, for our good. When Hudson Taylor lost his wife, at the age when he was 38, he wrote this. He said, for in my inmost soul, I delight in the knowledge that God does or permits all things and causes all things to work together for the good to those who love him. That's how old I am. I'm 37 years old. Hudson Taylor lost his wife when he was 38. And that's what he says. That was his response. Is that for my inmost soul, I delight in the knowledge that God does permit all things and causes all things to work together for good of those who love him. So this is not just for evangelism. This is for life. Understand that God lo God's love doesn't always look like we want it to. God is not our genie, okay? And God will guide us in life into the greatest good for us and the greatest glory for himself. And that doesn't always look pretty, but he's always doing so much more. Um, Adoniram Judson, another great missionary, he was a missionary to Burma. He suffered almost more. He was the first American missionary that actually left and went overseas and, um, and he, he suffered more than just about any missionary. I, I read his biography or heard biographies about him. And one time he was in prison and his wife was starving and she had a newborn baby and his wife had to take the newborn baby. She was so starving. He was suffering insane. It was like, there was just fleas and all sorts of stuff going on in the prison alone but she was suffering even worse what could only be worse for a husband is his wife and child suffering and so she was so starving she couldn't feed her own breastfeed her own newborn baby so she had to go from village to village asking women if they could nurse her baby adam nine judson said this in one of his journals he said if I had not felt, felt certain that every additional trial was ordered by infinite love and mercy, I could not have survived my many accumulated sufferings. If I had not felt certain that every additional trial was ordered by infinite love and mercy, I could not have survived my accumulated sufferings. Oof. So what was God doing through Adonai Judson? Long story short, God birthed the church in Burma during that time. And we met, actually, it's been an amazing movement of God. Um, Brian Hamilton, he's at Chico Community Church, a guy I, I've helped mentor. Um, he was, he's been mentoring this guy named Judson. And when, when, Brian, when Brian asked him, what's your name? What's the significance of your name? He said, it's, I'm named after the person that led my family to Christ years ago. 
generations ago. So we're seeing here in Chico, California, someone that's getting discipled named Judson. The fruit of our suffering for the gospel bears exponential fruit, exponential results. You, any suffering that we do to expand the gospel will bear exponential fruit. So the glory of God and the reality of hell propel us into the mission. That should motivate us to do the mission, to save people from sin, <laughs> help share the only good, the good news. But the sovereignty of God is what keeps us on the mission field. The sovereignty of God is what keeps us sharing the gospel. I heard a missionary that said, if it wasn't for the sovereignty of God, I would have left a long time ago. Okay. So the sovereignty of God does not make the pursuit of sinners pointless. This is John Piper. It says, it makes it hopeful. Nothing in man can stop this sovereign God from saving the worst of sinners. So if it's God's job to save people, then we can be really bold and we can be really confident and we can step out and know that it's, it's not our job to save people. We can't convert anyone. It's God's job, but it's our job to be obedient, to share and to suffer. It's God's job to, say, to, to save. It's our job to share and to suffer. There was two uh, missionaries. This was another long, it was a while ago, a long time ago. And there was from this country, the, this group of people called the Moravians. And there was this, this island where, uh, this was during the time of slavery, this slave owner bought an island and bought a bunch of Africans, and he took them to this island, and he was an atheist, and he said, we're not going to have any missionaries, we're not going to have any pastors, All, no one is going to hear the gospel on this island. And two of these Moravians, they're about your age, they were, they were in their 20s, early 20s, what they did, they heard about this, they were broken, they said, these hundreds of African slaves are never going to hear the gospel so what they did is they sold themselves into slavery, lifetime slavery. And their families, of course, were questioning the wisdom of it. And everyone was just like, you sure you want to do this? Like, this is, this is serious. And they went on, they got on the boats. And when they were drifting away, when the boat was sailing away, one of these young men grabbed the hand of the other, lifted it up. And they could just barely see him in the distance, but they shouted out, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his sufferings. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his sufferings. And that became the call of the Moravian missionary advance. And they, those Moravians, a small little community, sent more missionaries out than any other country or group in that generation. And it, what, what these men knew is that God was already, why would God be calling them to go to this island for the rest of their life if he wasn't already bought some souls with his blood? When we, evangelism is gathering in the, the fruit of God's work on the cross, of Christ's blood on the cross. God's work, Jesus's blood is powerful enough to save the worst sinner. Jesus' blood has bought
people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. It's a promise that there will be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. So when we go there, we're just saying, hey, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his sufferings. So I was in South Carolina um, this weekend. And honestly, I was, it was a big disciple now. So it was a large church event, evangelistic event, slash discipleship. And man, I was struggling with insecurity. I was feelings of doubt. Even after my first message, I wasn't sure if it was good enough or I was focused too much on my own performance. And uh, honestly, I'm just being honest. And I, I, there was moments that I felt like I killed it. And there was moments I felt like, oh man, I kind of messed that up. But I was reading for seminary and there was a quote by John Calvin in one of the books. And it says this, it says, there's no preacher of the gospel who has not been raised up by God in his special providence. It is certain therefore that God, not just a preacher, visits that nation in which the gospel is proclaimed. The gospel does not fall from the clouds like rain by accident, but is brought by the hands of men to where God has sent it. So that's like a mind blowing thing. Like, and kind of wordy. I mean, if I was going to write it, I would, but he's an old theologian. Okay. So he can get away with very precise words, but basically he's saying anywhere we go to preach the gospel, God is already there. Why would God send you to that fraternity, to that sorority, to that dorm, to that, those, your friends to share the gospel, if he wasn't already there working in their lives. And it was so encouraging to me because I just realized like, man, I'm just a messenger. I'm just a tool that God, I am a tool, but uh, I'm just a tool that God wants to use in these people's lives. And so you're not that important, okay? You are, God can use someone else. If he, if you don't get usable, God will use someone else. But let me just tell you, being used by God is the greatest joy in life. But the pressure is off for you to perform. It's not about you. God will use you and God uses his people often despite ourselves. So you don't have to be perfect for God to use you. You just have to be obedient. God is a lot more concerned about your availability than your ability. God wants to use you. And so then I finished, uh, I, so I was encouraged, but then I did a workshop, okay? A lot like this at the conference. And it was for junior high and high school students. So I, I vastly underestimated the difference <laughs> between college students. Like, let me just tell you, I liked speaking to you a lot more. <laughs> but they were just kind of like Deadsville. Like, I don't know, like they weren't all there. You ever talk to a high school, a junior high, and it was just like this fog. This. So anyways, I just, I even, I even told a corny joke and like no one laughed, but even worse, like, like they mocked me. <laughs> like one of them made fun of me like in, during the session. And so I was like, man, I don't know. Like I went back to my hotel room and I had to read some more seminary. Um, and I was like, I don't know, maybe I'm done with, with doing high school and junior high stuff. I, maybe I'll just focus on college students. And I was reading this, it's from Jeremiah 1, 7. And it says, to whomever I send you, you shall go. In whatever I command you, you shall speak. <laughs> and it was, it was this, this, this God basically telling me, why are you here? I sent you to these high school students. I sent you to these junior high students. And I gave you a plan of what you're going to say. And you're going to do it. <laughs> the, the command of God is not based on our preferences. 
Okay, the calling of God is not about what you prefer. It's about what he wants. And we're just servants. So who am I to tell God who I can or can't reach or I can, what he wants to do? Man, I don't need a certain level of feedback or approval or fulfillment when I'm advancing the mission or noticeable fruit. I just need to be obedient. So whatever God calls you to do, the test of your life is not fruitfulness, visible fruitfulness, it's faithfulness. The test of your, not, your life is not fruitfulness, like how many people you lead to Christ, it's faithfulness. Are you being obedient where God has you to who God has sent you? Because God has sent every one of us to certain people to share with. So, but by the grace of God, we ended up seeing about 16 students come to Christ at this DNL last weekend, and a bunch of them trained to share the gospel. So I may end up doing some more youth group stuff after all, who knows? Um, <laughs> so I, if God tells me, I will for sure. But in evangelism, what I've learned is that evangelism is totally rigged, okay? It's totally rigged. Like God is moving. One time, this was when I was starting Challenge, and we were small. We weren't, we were having trouble getting going. And I was driving to campus and I remember having basically doubts from the enemy saying, this is not strategic. We were going to do 30 second surveys. Any of you guys ever done 30 second surveys? Okay. The pre pre COVID people have, um, but we were going to do that. And I just remember thinking, this is not worth it. This is a waste of my time. And a passage of scripture that I'd memorized popped in my mind. It was Acts 18, 10. And that passage says, Jesus shows up to the Apostle Paul in a dream, and, he, and Jesus says to Apostle Paul, he says, for I'm with you, no one is going to attack or harm you, for I have many people in the city. Man, that hit me hard. Like, it, I have many people in this city. Like, God, it was as if God was whispering to me, I have many people on this campus. I have many people at Chico State that I am already working in. And that's year, fast forward years later, man, we've seen over a thousand people during our time, our 11 years of being a ministry at Chico State, pray to receive Christ. So God's promise is true. He has, and I think that's still true. God has many people that he is drawing, that he is wooing, that he is working in long before we ever get there. They're there. It's just our job to go find them. Easter's coming up. My kids have a great time. <laughs> Evelyn is obsessed with Easter. She asked me, why are there bunnies, though, if it's all about Jesus? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> but, but, oh, well, we'll figure that one out later. But I call evangelism basically the divine Easter egg hunt. Okay. Evangelism is the divine Easter. We get the joy and the privilege of finding people that God is already working in. So really the truth is like, I pray that you will be seed sowing fools, <laughs> that you will just cast the seed of the gospel and you don't know what God's doing. And the best kind of evangelism is the kind that you do. Okay. It's the kind, so people, we can talk about relational evangelism. We can talk about um, cold turkey or initiative evangelism. We used to do before COVID also, we did a thing called prayer, care, share, where we go and talk about, talk to random people about the gospel, just hit them up and do the survey approach and share. And we saw a ton of people come to Christ 
in ways that most people are saying, hey, that doesn't work anymore. Don't, don't tell us, <laughs> don't tell the people that are doing that because we're seeing tons of fruit from that. So, but this was when I was in college, I was again struggling. I struggle a lot. That's kind of a common theme for me is in college, it was in between classes, in between actually after class and before our core team meeting that night, I, my brother and I were gonna go out and do some door-to-door -door witnessing. We were, in those days, we could just walk up to a dorm room and knock on a door and share the gospel with someone right at the door. And so my brother and I were gonna go do that. And we, so David went down the hall to grab a couple other Christians and get them to help us share the gospel. And I was alone in my room and I believe that Satan or, you know, a demon attacked me, was feeding me thoughts. Again, just this is not strategic. This is not worth your time. It wasn't audible. It was just thoughts in my brain. And I remember praying, God, show me this is worth my time. If this is worth my time, this random evangelism, this, this initiative evangelism, just hitting up random people. And so we went out and I shared the gospel and both of all of us shared the gospel. We saw three people come to Christ on the spot. And then I also met a guy named Travis and I started meeting meeting one-on-one -on -one to disciple Travis. He became my, the best discipleship relationship I had in college. And last time I heard from him, I kind of lost track of him actually. I need to hit him up. Last time I heard from him, he was in India as a missionary sharing the gospel on college campuses. And I was even feeling at the time called to go to India perhaps to the college campuses because actually you should pray about India there's 30 million college students in India and they all speak English and most of them um, are are open to the gospel so if you don't know what else to do with your life go to India do college ministry but anyways um, man I think God answered that question <laughs> you think he answered that question is it worth your time so I've learned there's nothing random about random evangelism I mean, you, the average person, they need to hear the gospel seven times before they come to Christ. And I've literally talked to hundreds of students who couldn't share the gospel with me to save their life. And that's what's at stake, right? That most people know just enough of the gospel to be inoculated to it. Most just know enough just to, to kind of this a gospel light. And most of them think it's works-based. Or they don't understand the need to make Jesus Lord and Savior and to turn from their sin and trust in Christ. So actually God has called us to the, the business of opening blind eyes. Acts 26, 17 and 18, it says, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So when we share the gospel, something happens. God opens some people's, not everyone's, but God opens blind eyes. This was the calling in Acts 26, 17 and 18. You can look it up. It's Apostle Paul sharing his testimony of how God called him to gospel ministry. So you never know if this is the first time they hear or the seventh time, you never know when you share the gospel, when that time that God is going to open that person's eyes. So when you share the gospel, this is not convincing. This is not um, just about your words. You are backed by the presence and the power and the authority of Jesus. Remember the Great Commission? 
Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it starts with all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he says, I will be with you always. So man, that is a lot of power. All his authority and his presence, they're coming in hot and they are going to, when you step, we should be the most confident people on the planet when we share the gospel, because we know Christ has commissioned us to go. And so we don't have to earn the right to share the gospel. Jesus did that when he died on the cross. Okay. Jesus did all the earning and now he's commanding us to proclaim that good news. So when in doubt, share the gospel. Okay. When in doubt, if they're breathing, they need Jesus. I tell this story. I love this story. Um, remember how many of you guys were at that, um, thing by Mark Middleberg. You guys remember him, Mark Middleberg? Yeah, that was cool. Um, he's friends with a guy named Lee Strobel who wrote The Case for Christ. And um, basically they did this thing called Skeptics Corner and they invited all the hardcore atheists, all the skeptics of the community to this thing. And they would do a talk on one of the most common questions against faith. And they would answer their questions. They did a Q&A time after. And the atheists would sit up front, the hardcore ones, and they would froth at the mouth and they would yell and they would... They would ask all these questions. And then the, the actually interested people would sit in the back quietly. And so Mark and Lee would go up and tell those interested people about Jesus after the meeting. And they led a ton of people to Christ. And they even led a few of those hardcore atheists. Because okay? <laughs> sometimes people that are the most mad, that are the most obnoxious against faith, are some of the people that God is working in the most internally. Some of those, those actually end up becoming the best evangelists. Sometimes you think about the apostle Paul, he was like the modern day version of ISIS. I mean, you know, he was like this, almost like a terrorist. Okay. He was, he was tracking down Christians and then he became the best. It's safe to say he was the best evangelist. So one time at one of these meetings, the widow of this famous evangelist named Paul Little, she hobbled up to them, Mark and Lee, and she pointed her bony finger at him and she said, do you know why God is using you? And she said, he's, they said, no, why? She said, because you're dumb enough to believe this will work. <laughs> you're dumb enough to believe this will work. And I don't know about you, but I want to be dumb enough to believe that the gospel is the power of God. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. 1 Corinthians 4.20, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. So if you share the gospel, you will lead people to Christ. <laughs> okay? If you share the gospel, you will lead people to Christ. If you want to have a ministry, share the gospel. Want to know why you're not leading people to Christ? It's because you're not sharing the gospel. If you want to experience God's power, share the gospel. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you want to be in touch with the Spirit, Share the gospel. The most important thing about evangelism is not how you do it. It's that you do it. <laughs> okay. God never wastes a witness. There's another story I love. It's, it's about Dawson Trotman. He's the founder of the Navigators. And it started the, the, the ministry of the Navigators. Actually, he's part of, he's my spiritual great grandpa. And so he discipled the guy the disciple, the guy that discipled me. And uh, so this was before World War, World War II when he started his ministry. And it started with one guy in a car. 
They were sitting, they were praying, and a police officer knocked on the window, and he, Dawson Trotman ended up leading this guy to Christ, the police officer to Christ. And this guy he was praying with said, I would give anything to do that, because Dawson Trotman quoted verses and just simply shared the gospel with him. And Dawson Trotman, in his classic hardcore style, looked at him and said, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. Um, and uh, then he's like, yeah, I would. Yeah, I would. And so Dawson Trotman started pouring into this one guy, helping him memorize verses, how to learn to pray, how to read the Bible, how to share the gospel. And long story short, fast forward, that guy started discipling another guy who decided discipling another guy. And in like five years, they had men that they, key men is what they call them, disciple makers in every Navy ship the, of the United States Navy. They had little groups of Bible studies and men that were memorizing scripture and sharing the gospel on their Navy ships. And then this was right before Pearl Harbor happened. And on one of these ships that went down, they found out that they had a team of these navigators that had literally just got done. They had a little checklist, they, the Holy Ghost hit list, okay, of people that they were praying for and they were sharing the gospel. And they had literally just got done sharing the gospel with every man on that ship, setting up gospel appointments and sharing the gospel with every man on that ship. And one of those ships, you could hear the men banging metal against metal, trying to, so they were down there for a while, trapped. And a lot of them died. But think about how many of those men had time to process and think about the gospel conversation that they just had with those men. God never wastes a witness. People may forget 10,000 conversations in their lifetime, but God loves people so much and God is pursuing people that he will not waste your gospel conversation. They, I, I believe that he will not let them forget his good news and he will be pursuing them and God's going to save a lot of people. Um, so that's those three things is the glory of God, the reality of hell, and the, and the sovereignty of God. Those things motivate us. I don't understand it all. I don't understand all of it and the ins and outs of it, but I do know that those are real and those should motivate us to step in to God's mission. So let me pray. God, thank you so much for your word and just these experiences and things that you've taught me. Lord, I pray that each of us would step in to what you've called us to. We would be obedient and we would trust your sovereignty and your glory and that we would know that you can use us to advance your kingdom. So I pray that, that each of us would go on a mission trip every day. Know that you have sent us to the people that are in our lives and that we would be used for your glory, for your kingdom. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So normally in these um, times, we actually have a um, Q&A time, but we're right at an hour. So I'm like, I'm sorry that I'm not sorry, because I felt like all this stuff is what I felt like God wanted me to say to you. And so appreciate y'all. And we'll see you guys tomorrow at the, at the rest of the, the conference. Bye-bye. Thank you, Paul. Thanks so much, Paul. Yeah, no problem.